Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD, a detective sergeant from Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today, I have retired second-grade detective, I want to say that grade is a good thing, second-grade detective Phil Grimaldi from the 6-0 Squad and Intelligence Division, and I always like to say Phil is straight out of Brooklyn. In fact, right now he is in Brooklyn. And Phil, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me back. Great to have you back. You know, folks, this is day 38 of um, Summer Wells' missing case. You know, she went missing on June 15th. We're in the 38th days. And I'm very optimistic that something is going to happen this weekend. We have the Equus Search people coming to town. And, you know, investigation, I spoke about this before, is an art and a science. And the art, the art of it, of course, is the police work, the footwork. What's what I call detectives gumshoes, going out and walking, making phone calls, talking to people, interviewing people, doing regular police work. And the science we all know now is a lot of technology to this, uh, cell phone technology, computer technology. We even mentioned something called geofencing where they can isolate electronic devices to an area and determine how many electronic devices were being used and who owned those devices. I'm thinking that some of this scientific information has come back and this will enable the Equus for Equus search to really hone in the areas that they're going to search. And we're hoping that this weekend, Summer Wells will be recovered. We hope she'll be recovered alive. But either way, we're hoping for, that this case will move on and can be solved uh, this weekend through technology and through this fantastic organization called Equus Search. Um, folks, if you like this search, police, uh, like this show, Police Off the Cuff, please, if you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. Uh, Phil, I know you have some ideas about this case. Uh, why don't you go through just loosely the, the timeline as what we, we know right now? Sure, Bill. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment to piggyback what you were just saying. Um, you and I both came on the job in the early 80s, and we kind of learned detective work from the old-fashioned way. Uh, we called it old-fashioned legwork. We would go out and interview people and talk. The technology now has married into current investigation. So I think that um, the technology is great. But you still need that old-fashioned police work, old-fashioned detective work, legwork, because specifically in this case, you have a rural area with uh, not a lot of video cameras. Everything's kind of spread out. And you also have very uh, poor cell service. Probably internet service might not be great either. So I think that the technology end of it is kind of uh, a little bit removed. So when you talk about a, a company like Equisearch, that's going to go in there and they're going to do the old fashioned police work. They're going to do a search on foot. And I think that they're going to incorporate the technology because they're going to have GPS locators and stuff. But uh, I think that uh, you made a great point about that. Now, going back to uh, a quick timeline, uh, she was reported missing on June 15th at about 1830 hours, which would be 630 PM. We, from what we know from the investigation so far, uh, she was last seen alive at around 2.30 in the afternoon. That's kind of confirmed. So you have a four-hour window where she was missing. Now, there was talk about, from the early stages of the investigation, about a red 
Toyota Tacoma pickup truck, a 98 to a 2000. And we talked about the lawman searches and different things that were being done to try and locate that vehicle. And the police kind of stressed that that was a witness possibly as opposed to a person of interest. So we had that. And then um, when that moved forward, we saw that there was a great area of search done. And I think it was kind of targeted. So over that time, there was some other things that happened with uh, possible polygraphs with different witnesses. And then there was the interviews of uh, Don and Candace, where they, they came across in a, in a bad look, so to speak, uh, that they might have been intoxicated, narcotics. So there's a lot of different components that came into our assessment of the investigation. And when I say our assessment, we're not coming from uh, a rookie standpoint or uh, a keyboard warrior standpoint. We're both experienced investigators in the NYPD, and we had commonplace murder cases just about every day and shootings and high-profile cases. We both worked on many high-profile cases. And the point I'm trying to make is, is that when we give an opinion, it's an expert opinion. And again, we don't have uh, intimate knowledge of the case folder. We haven't seen the case folder. We haven't spoke to any detectives. We're going by a lot of information that's public. So the timeline brings us up to today that uh, they're going to initiate another search by EquiSearch on Saturday. This is going to be very, very important. I think the search is going to be um, directed to a specific area. I would hope that's what the case is going to be based on leads, uh, you know, uh, uh, the interviews that were already done and the direction that the case is going in. I'm sure that the detectives they're going to assess what they know so far, and they're going to direct EquiSearch into a specific area. And again, we stressed in previous uh, episodes that we don't want anyone to divulge their location if they happen to see them in the area doing a search. We don't want any, uh, uh, you know, the investigation to be interrupted or compromised in any way, shape, or form. So I'll stress that again. If you live in that area and you see search going on this weekend, please. Do not post it on social media and don't discuss it with anyone. Just keep it to yourself. There will be updates coming from Police Off the Cuff as well as other uh, episodes on uh, on uh, on YouTube. So uh, you can just sit with that and uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope that there are some positive developments this weekend. Phil, I'm going to – this uh, recording was from um, Duty Run show early in the week, which I took part with, and we had David Rader on with us. I'm just going to – Add this to the stream, and I'm going to show you, uh, listen to what he said. But uh, I wanted the people to see you fully, and I didn't want to, like, have, you know, your, your, your forehead. I can't even see me. All I got, all I got on my screen is is, is, is still the... Uh, You're perfect. Uh, the, You're the piece uh, led up to it, so I, that's, that's why I can't... Uh, all right. I couldn't tell how far I was. No, you're good right there. Bill, you want to lead right. back into that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I would just like to know when you when you when you finally got there and you had all your personnel put together, what was the organization of this search like? How was how was it put together? How was it how were the personnel deployed and how was it determined who would search what specific areas and how would they search these specific areas? You know, at the time they were they were still searching around the house, thinking that this girl walked away. So at that point in time, there was no foul play ever mentioned, or I don't think it was considered. 
Um, so at that point in time, they were strategically breaking down in and around that house into grids. And then what they would do is keep all of your manpower together so they wasn't like basically breaking you up to put with another group. So they took those groups and depending on the qualifications and what you're used to is how they broke it down into where what sector that you went to. Um, you know, they, they had aviation in the air, they had the helo, they had um, they had dog teams. Uh, I think that they had five or six different dog teams down there. So they were strategically placing the dogs ahead of uh, the foot searchers, and then we would go in behind them as a checks and balances. And it was well organized. Uh, they would actually take us to, they would bus us in uh, to each individual um, plot of land that we were going to do. And then we were in radio contact as far as if we, if we found anything, if we found any evidence. Uh, we were all GPS tracked. And I can tell you, uh, if I could share that with you, um, it, it, it's incredible on the amount of manpower that was in and around that, uh, that piece of property in that mountain uh, over the course of those five or six days that I was there. You know, Dave, uh, so the, the, the folks are going to ask, uh, that is, there's different types of dogs, bloodhounds, there's cadaver dogs. What were all manner of dogs working this scene? Yeah, they were actually using uh, live track, and they were also using cadaver. Um, from what I understand, they could not get a very good uh, scent article from the house for summer because I think that everything was kind of shared. So I'm not too sure how well that uh, that played out, but they did use cadaver, and they also used um, they also used live track, and, and not one of them took us in any one direction. So was it confirmed, Dave, that they did bring in multiple uh, dogs into the home and outside of the home? Because there's been reports that the do some dogs got the scent to the end of the road of the house and then it, it, it stopped there. Is there any truth to that statement, Dave? From, from what I understand, um, yes. That, that, you know, as far as the interior of the house, I have no knowledge of that working. But um, I did hear on several occasions that the, the, the live track took it to the end of the um, end of the driveway, and, and that's where they lost it. And usually that means they get into a car. But again, if, if you look up, guys, if you look up where this house sits um, and, and the thought possi possibility of a stranger abduction, it does not make sense at all, only for the simple reason that you have to go, you're, you're, you're in a secluded area, number one. Number two is, is that you have to come off of a main road to go down their road only to go back a long driveway. Right. And again, if they're all sitting there and they're all there, the, the odds of that happening are, to me, are slim to none. That's what I really wanted to show where he made that assessment, and that was early on in the investigation, that he felt, and based on his thousands of searches for missing children, that there was absolutely no chance of a kidnapping or an abduction in that area. So... I think that, you know, that's a strong, strong opinion. And I also just take this uh, opportunity right now to thank Captain Tim Coop and his whole crew of searches. I mean, they must be mentally and physically exhausted right now. We're, you know, we're going on day 38 of these searches. Also, all the investigators, the TBI, the FBI, the local police, they've 
This is a stressful case, and I'm sure they've done all they can do to try to find Summer. Yeah, I, I think that uh, they're probably stressed to the max, like you said. Um, you know, they're they're searching rough terrain. Uh, I'm sure an hour or two out there in that uh, heat and that terrain could really weigh you down. So uh, Equisearch coming in to uh, to help out is probably uh, they're being welcomed with op open arms, I'm sure. And um, what you said about his opinion, I think that I put a, and I've said this before, I put a lot of weight into what he said for the reasons that he was on the ground. He saw it and he said it's very unlikely based on what he saw that there was a stranger abduction there or even a friendly abduction, an abduction of any sort. So I, I put a lot of weight in that. And it sounds like if she had wandered off, they did that immediate search. Uh, I don't think that, uh, you know, if that were the case that she wandered off, that uh, she wouldn't have been found. She would have been found because they did that grid search immediately. So with those facts stated, I think uh, the likelihood of her wandering off and the likelihood of stranger abduction or friendly abduction, I think those are very, very slight possibilities at this point. And, it, and it's leaning towards some type of foul play. And again, I mentioned the, uh, the four hour period. That's not a long time, you know, that uh, before uh, she was last seen alive to the time when she was reported missing, you know, and according to the parents, uh, it was only minutes before they, Call the police that they noticed her missing. So the the time frame I think is important, and uh, you know uh, the search again. I'm sure is going to be targeted this weekend. And uh, thank God for this uh, this Equus search. I mean they're, they're a tremendous foundation. And uh, like I said, I I sent a donation, and I would hope that uh, anybody that's listening could send a couple of bucks to them. It, uh, it's a worthy cause. Well, listen, you know, Phil. One of the things is, and and again, uh, we're not privy to all the information, but uh, the TBI, the FBI, and the local police, they have information, investigative information, results of interviews, results of some of the scientific evidence that's coming back. So I'm confident that something is really happening right now. Something is really in the, in the air, it's in the wind, and we're hoping that this weekend with, with this Equus search, is going to move the ball forward. Look, look, it's all easy for every one of us to say, you know, we're 38 days into this. Oh, I knew this from day one. Well, you didn't know this from day one. You didn't know anything from day one. An investigation has to play out. You have to cross all the T's, dot all the I's, and then you have to redo it when it doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to turn out. And you know uh, yourself from major investigations that, Sometimes you have a certain direction in an investigation and it doesn't work out and you have to completely change direction. And uh, there's a possibility that could have happened in this. Look, they gave, uh, and they, look, they gave Don and, and, and they gave the um, Candace, they gave them the benefit of the doubt. They're reporting their missing five-year-old daughter. And but things aren't adding up. The, the interviews didn't add up discrepancies with what they said didn't add up. All those things has to be checked and cross-checked. Text messages can be checked. Phone calls can be checked. Computer databases can be checked. And then put thousands of hours of work, searches and interviews and talking to other people. And then you start, the investigation starts way out there like that. And then it starts closing in. 
slowly and slowly and slowly till you get the answer to what actually occurred. Yes, Bill, I, I'd like to make a couple of points about what you said. Um, you know, in the early stages, I'm sure that they gave the benefit of the doubt. The kid may have wandered off. She was lost and they did those searches. But I think based on, you know, uh, the interviews that occurred, um, they started to maybe question whether or not uh, Candace and Dunn uh, were truthful or if the information they give, were giving was correct. Now, we talked about the interviews of the brothers, the little boys, I, not so little, but they, some of them teenage, but I'm sure that that might have yielded some uh, direction in the case. Now, you make a great point that sometimes you're going in one direction, like initially it was considered a missing person, a lost child. And then when they started to see that the, the search didn't turn up anything, maybe the interviews, it started to shift. Now, what you said all about the technology, cell phone records, uh, computer records, those things do not come back in a minute. We, we've stated that in previous episodes. So now, like you said, it's 38 days in. Maybe they're getting some records, some text messages, some phone call information, some cell phone information, computer information. And based on the interviews that they did, they can now challenge what those interviews were and the stories and the information they were given by, well, we now have your phone record. And in your text message, you said A, B, and C, but you told us D, E, and F. So things like that are probably happening. And like you said, the investigation is narrowing and it's closing in. And there's going to be a successful conclusion to this investigation. I, I feel very strongly about that. And I agree with the point that you made earlier that there's a good chance that something might come about over this weekend. And one last point I'd like to make is you know, when we're doing an investigation and we're uncovering different facts, we call a person lying, we have this information, we have that information, we have cell phone putting them at a location. Now we take this information and we don't just decide on our own to go out and make an arrest. We'll confer with the district attorney or the local prosecutor and it's done in conjunction with them and it's a team effort before any uh any Phil, you know something? Done. I'm glad you brought that up because many types of records cannot just be requested by the police department. They have to be subpoenaed exactly. by the exactly. district attorney, which is the legal arm, not affiliated with the police. The police uh, large departments, like the New York City Police Department, has their own legal bureau that can actually issue subpoenas. But the district attorney's office usually is the one who issues these subpoenas. And confidential records, like criminal records, banking records, um, cell phone records. Cell phone records, you can't just call the, the carrier and say, hey, we want these records. That requires a subpoena and, and, and search warrants. Uh, a search Absolutely. of the, the cell phone records is a search warrant. And so, so so a detective has to go down and raise his right hand and swear that, you know, they have probable cause to get the search warrant to search the phone. See, all these things that you see on television that happen in two seconds, none of them, not, nothing happens quickly in an investigation. Everything takes time. And my hope is, is that it's all coming together. It starts out here and it starts moving in quickly and you start getting the answers and you start questioning some of the information you had and you can challenge it against truths that you now know, against lies that were told. And that's what investigation is all about. I want to show another quick uh, little video of David Rader talking about this, um, this weekend's search. 
And you're still so one in- other point about what you were talking about. There's also a cost factor. You know, we get the subpoena. The phone companies charge for these uh, the, these uh, records checks that we ask for, you know, information. So there's also a cost factor. Small police department might have trouble with that. Maybe the FBI can jump in and they have uh, deeper pockets. A hundred percent. You know, a, a, a cell phone uh, dump, I believe, can cost as much as a thousand dollars. So yep. how many dumps can you do? Well, that's the searching of the numbers. Uh, you know, uh, even the New York City Police Department used to balk at paying for it. And they would say, oh, let the DA's office pay for it, you know, and it used right. to be like a pissing match over who would pay for it. Let me just go to this 100%. quick uh, 40, 49 second video. Um, go we're going to add him to the stream. We want to just use the, the properly trained people uh, on this. And what people don't understand is, is that um, if this is a criminal case, um, and we still don't know all the answers, and they're out, you know, taking pictures and putting on where we are, it's a possibility that somebody that does have her or has done something with her could possibly move evidence to where we were. So we, we, we can't have people stating that we were on this road at this specific spot because then at that point in time when we, when we mark it off that nothing's there, it's a possibility somebody could move, move her or evidence to that area and, and it's already been marked off as search so we don't go back to it. I think that's uh, you know an excellent uh, statement to show that why is there a, the necessity of a sec- secrecy from law enforcement not to let the public know everything? And that's a great reason right there because you know, evidence could be compromised. Evidence could be hidden. When when the, maybe the bad guy knows what law enforcement is doing, he'll change up his pattern. He'll change something. He'll alter evidence. He'll move. He'll move evidence. You know, all of those things are a possibility. And that's I'm glad Dave spoke to that in that short little um, that short little interview there. Think about what you just said. Let's say that information was developed that she might be. You know, she might be deceased and she might be in an area and we're going to go search it tomorrow at 8 a.m. So today we put it on the news. Now that's telling the person responsible, go there, move the body, change the evidence, whatever. Or it could spark people that are interested in the case. Maybe they're going to go search. Now they disturb critical evidence if there is a body. You know what I mean? So obviously that makes a lot of sense not to divulge too much information. I think me and you were both on the same page about that. We've stated it before. And I think that the statement that he made shows that they are really at a professional level with what they do, that they've conducted all these searches and they've never compromised a criminal investigation once. And I think the numbers kind of speak for themselves. I mean, 1,860 searches with 400 missing returned safely. That's a big number. That's a big number. And 238 where remains were recovered. So, I mean, they have statistics to show. They know what they're doing. He made great points, what he just said. So, I mean, he's right in lockstep with everything that I would want out of someone doing a search. Nat Man, thank you so much for the $35 super chat. It really is helpful. And you said something pretty um, apropos to this investigation that uh, yeah, yeah. And I think he said in England, someone was taken by their uncle hidden in a basement and the mother knew about it all the time. Is there a possibility that something like that could have happened here? Absolutely. Something like that could have happened here. Uh, Steve Cologne, thank you so much 
for the 999 Super Chat. Look, I just have a good feeling that this weekend something good with this case is going to happen. And obviously the best thing that could happen is that we find Summer alive. That is the absolute best thing that could happen. But everyone wants closure. And we're talking about the secret of nature to evidence the secret of nature, whether to, to let certain things out. And you can understand why things are held close to the vest by investigators, because they we don't know exactly what happened yet. And of course, when we all find out what happened, everyone's going to say, oh, I knew that all along. You know, well, you know something? In 27 years of police work, I've been surprised many times. Many times I was right on figuring out what what happened, and other times I was far off. And if if someone's acting like they're a soothsayer or a medium and they think that they can predict what's happening, you go with the investigative checklist. You go to what, you know, uh, deductive reasoning, where that takes you. And then you go and you really go where the evidence leads you. And that's the key to investigation. And, and that's what I believe the investigators are doing. And I know they're tirelessly working around the clock. To speak to the point that you just made, Bill, about keeping evidence, keeping information close to the vest. I mean, when I put somebody in the box and I want to interview them, and I'm talking about a hard interview, maybe a suspect, I don't want them knowing what I know about the case. I want to know as much as I can about the case before I talk to that person. Now, if too much information is given, they might go into the box, give themselves an alibi, you know, and or talk about specific evidence or how they couldn't have been involved in it because of A or B. So that's why it's very important to keep the information close to the vest. Now, when you said about a checklist, yeah, there's certain investigative steps that we take, but every investigation is different. And what I mean by that is this. If I know that I get on the scene, I'm going to talk to a witness, I'm going to talk to a, uh, on a canvas, I'm going to talk to a neighbor or whatever, whatever information they provide, that's the direction that we go in. So I can't say, well, I did this and this is going to happen. We don't know what Whatever we do on our checklist, the, the investigative steps that we take, a lot of times it it uh, develops by how the investigation is going. And we put our heads together with a boss and the detective say, you know what, let's do this based on what that guy told us or based on what we saw on that video camera or based on this uh, uh, physical evidence. So that's how an investigation moves forward. It's not just a specific thing. All right, we're going to do this. We're going to, no, it doesn't always work that way. There are some specific uh, steps that we take. Like you said, there might be a checklist, but most of the time, every investigation is different. I, I don't like to talk about uh, hypothetical so much. So, I mean, in this particular case, I'm sure they're moving in the right direction based on all the things we know that occurred, all the interviews. There might be evidence that was recovered already. There's these cell phones and cell towers and, and computers. So uh, I'm confident, like you said, that things are, uh, are going to maybe boil up and, and heat up over the weekend. And hopefully we can get to a conclusion on uh, on Little Summer Welds. I hope so, too. Uh, Gene Casada. Hi, guys. I love this channel. I'm a native New Yorker living in California now. Your accents bring me back home. We're very happy. You know something? My accent has caused me problems my whole life when I tried to get a part in voiceover or acting. They're like, oh, no, you have New York accents too thick. Try to get rid of it. I was like, I'm not getting rid of it. I don't. I can't, <laughs> I can't spend two years in speech class to try to get rid of my uh, 
the, the that's a commodity, like bro. Come on, don't they know And he he got Phil from Brooklyn. You think he'd ever want to lose that Brooklyn accent straight out of Brooklyn? No way. <laughs> Cheated no more. I'll be in tears when you find out what has happened, unless Summer is found alive and well. But she must be found. The grandmother being so silent bothers me. You know, there's a lot of things cheated no more that bother everyone about this case. And you know something? There's people that know the answers to this. The people that did this obviously know the answer. And we, when that happens, when evil happens, we want to count on the skill of the police and the investigators in doing their job to bring finality and bring closure to this case and bring closure to this little girl. And that's, we all want that. And we're all praying for that. You know, uh, Lori Elliott uh, from the UK, uh, she's saying, praying for good news tomorrow. Hi from the UK. Yes, we are too. Uh, Sarah Morris, is it possible she was taken by a church member who knew of her home life? Sarah, anything is possible. You know, could that have happened? Yeah, I can't really speculate, but yes. Um, Cassie Castrovillari. Did I say that, Cass? Did I say that correctly? I, I, Castro Valari, what a nice name. I feel like it's possible summer is somewhere that the parents know about. I think they could be holding out for a reward, GoFundMe money. I think it's a possibility. This is such a bizarre case. Yeah, it's it's a tough case. You know, all missing cases are tough cases. And as I said, we hope that we have the skills to use the science. And, and and the art of investigation to bring finality and closure. Lori Doza, how are you? Very look, nice to see you here. Amanda Svetska, mom had to dispose of her not far. And then she, that's it. That's all she uh, finished with. Look, we all have um, theories in regards to what may have occurred. But when you, when you come up with these theories, you also have to have the science to back it up and to have when I, what I call and what we call an investigation is deductive reasoning. And deductive reasoning is basically to take the evidence and the interviews and comparing the interviews with different people against each other and then coming up with the best scenario in regards to what you actually think occurred. But you, until the case is solved, we got to keep pushing forward and, and just keep investigating and keep our nose to the grindstone, keep doing the work and keep getting out there. And that's why... We are all thrilled that uh, Equus Search is going to be going out tomorrow because we all feel, I think even in you, you folks in the chat, we all feel that this could be possibly a turning point in this investigation. And we use the term shaking the tree. And this is shaking the tree. And hopefully when you shake the tree, something falls out and something positive occurs. Bill, any thoughts on that? Yeah, um, one of the part people in the chat mentioned uh, there's no focus or something regarded, regarding uh, sex trafficking. Now, like you said, anything is possible in this case. But based on what Dave said, that there were a lot of dogs on the property, it looked like there was activity. I highly doubt that there was an abduction that day. At that time, it was daylight out. Um, it could have been somebody from the church that knew the area. It's quite possible. However, I think with all of that activity going on, people home, for somebody to come there and do that, it would be very highly unlikely based on those uh, surroundings that Dave kind of brought light to. He was on the scene. He described the area. He said there were a lot of dogs. I mean, uh, if someone came up and even if they were known to the animals, 
I think the dogs would have been start barking and, and, you know, maybe greeting them. So I don't think that that was really a big uh, possibility at this point. I don't think we're ignoring sex trafficking or anything like that. All of those things are still, everything is really still on the, on the, uh, on the table. I think that we've just narrowed down the most likely scenarios of what we think in our professional opinion, what took place. And we're going by interviews and we're going by stuff that's public knowledge. Coexist 2020, your question is why is sex trafficking not being brought up when it's a huge issue in this area? One of the reasons is what um, David uh, Rader said, and he said a stranger abduction, considering where this house is, does not make sense. The odds of that happening are slim to none. If she wandered away, one of the family dogs would have went with her. And that's David Rader's opinion, who is with uh, Equus Search. Uh, so I'm, is he 100% correct? Not, probably not, but you know something? He's going on past experience, and they've recovered over 400 alive missing persons as well as 288 uh, remains of missing persons. So we have to take what he said to be very serious. And, I, and I'm again, I'm not slamming the door and saying there's no possibility that there was sex trafficking involved in this or an abduction. Everything is on the table until we find a direction that tells us that, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. We have to go to a quick commercial, and we'll be, we'll be right back in about a minute or two. Um, folks, if you're looking to move out of wherever you live and you'd like to move down to sunny Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Carol Waters is a realtor that sells real estate down in the Myrtle Beach area. Her and her husband, Rob Mayen, who used to be an NYPD police officer and then rolled over and became a FDNY, a fireman. They sell real estate together down in the Myrtle Beach area. In fact, they're million-dollar salespeople. And if you're looking for a condo, a vacation home, uh, or a home, a, a house, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681, or you can email her at carolwaterssellsmb at gmail.com. Joe Murray, attorney at law. Joe is a terrific trial attorney as well as a victim's advocate. So if you need a consultation with an attorney, there's nobody better in the legal arena. You can reach Joe Murray at jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. He can be emailed at joe at jmurray-law.com, joe at jmurray-law.com, and his telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Joe Murray is also a retired member of the NYPD as well as an attorney. I don't think he'll make uh, house calls to the UK or Australia where a lot of you folks are from. But uh, if you're in the New York area and you need an attorney, he, he, he's, he's available by phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a hell of a guy. That's for sure. Um, Greg Davis says, uh, gentlemen, uh, is, is it possible the police know what's happened and who's responsible, responsible, but are just gathering enough evidence? Greg, a hundred percent. That's what this is all about. Yes, it is It is possible that they know what happened, but they want to have the strongest case possible when they do move in to make it, if there is going to be an arrest in this situation, they want to have the strongest case possible, and they're going to wait to, to have that strong case before they move in uh, to, to make an arrest or to do whatever they're going to do based on evidence. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely possible. Uh Jacqueline Whitehouse, is it still possible she could have just wandered off and the searches missed her? 
I mean, David Rader tells us no. He tells us, look, they not only are searching by foot, they search the water they, and not with scuba divers. They have sonar equipment. They have some of the most sophisticated equipment in the search and rescue business. They have drones that cost $35,000 each that can tell from the air whether the ground had been misplaced. For example, something was buried in the ground. The drone can tell them that. And if the drone sees something suspicious, they can move in with their teams to that area to check out physically what the drone has just discovered. So I, I was told um, by Dave Rader, no, that's really not a possibility. He doesn't think it is. And again, investigation is an art and a science. And with art and with science, you never talk in the 100%. You always say, leave the possibility open that something else happened. Those are two great comments, Bill. The first one that uh, about the, do, do we believe that the police have all the information? I think that that's very possible. I'm sure that 38 days in, they developed a lot of information regarding this case. And yes, they may be waiting for specific things before they make an arrest or, you know, they might be looking for uh, summer's remains to be found. If God forbid, that's what what's going to be. Um, and then the other, um, the other comment about, is it possible she wandered off? If this wasn't 38 days in, I would say, yeah, that, that's a very good possibility, but it's 38 days. I think that this, the grid searches that were done, they expanded out further and further. They started from right by the house and just went out further and further. And I would think that they probably doubled back and, and did double searches and, at this point, I don't think that that's a very good likelihood that she wandered off and just hasn't been found. I would say almost almost 100% that that's not a likelihood. No, I don't think so either. You know, someone's saying in the chat, and again, I, I, can't, um, I can't verify this because I don't know for sure that the three boys have been removed by CPS, uh, you know, Child Protective Services. I can't uh, verify that. But uh, that would be a sign that something's happening during this investigation. Although early on in the investigation, I questioned why the other the boys weren't removed also. And not, you know, not because the mother reported the five-year-old missing, but because I, I felt that the mother appeared to always be either high or under the influence of alcohol. And I, that is one of the reasons you might remove kids or at least go to the home and inspect the home and follow up and see what was the home looking like? Was the home clean? Did the kids have food? Were the kids well taken care of? Signs, you know, I, I before I became a homicide sergeant, I was on pa patrol for lots of years as a sergeant. And one of my jobs as a sergeant in the NYPD was to go to um, homes where there was an allegation of child abuse. And I, you know, the power you had as a police sergeant was the power to remove the children. If you found what was, and this term was used over and over on the police department, if you found that there was imminent danger to the kids, and I mean, that's a wide scope, but if you went to a home and there was no food, the kids, the, the house was a pigsty, um, the kids weren't being well cared for, there were signs of alcohol and drug abuse, I would have to make that determination. This was back in New York City when I was on patrol. The many years I was on patrol as a sergeant. 
And it wasn't an easy thing to do, you know, because even when kids are being mistreated, they don't want to be removed from their home or taken from their parents. So, you know, in this case, I wondered why there wasn't an early inspection early on in this investigation. We're now 38 days into it. And if it's true what what they're saying in the um, in the chat right now, it's a possibility that the kids were uh, were removed. Bill, I think what you're describing is what we know as a welfare check where there's components of law enforcement working with child protective services where they would say, uh, can the police go do a welfare check? And, and basically just what you stated, you'd go into the home, check to see if there was food, check the condition of the children. And if there is imminent danger, you'd call for child protective services to remove the children and place them in, in foster care. Now, there's a couple of red flags that we spoke about why we thought, in our opinion, that child protective services or whatever it's called in Tennessee should be involved in this because it's obvious that there was drugs and alcohol to me being uh, used in the home. And there was even allegations that Candace had given a, a minor alcohol. So I'm sure that based on what's going on and all these red flags, maybe I'm hoping that there was an interdiction by Child Protective Services. Whether or not they removed the children, like you said, we can't really say, but I would hope that there was some type of interdiction by Child Protective Services to check on these kids, to see what the welfare of these kids is, you know? I mean, if uh, you're being raised by somebody that's alcohol or drug, drug addicted, there's a very good chance that there's abuse taking place. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, what, what we were just hoping, and um, again, the public a lot of times expects huge things from law enforcement, and rightfully so, because law enforcement has a huge responsibility. And when everything comes together and they do their job properly, which I'm sure they are in this case, you know, great things happen. And we're hoping and praying that the, the skills of the FBI, the TBI, the local police, the searchers, uh, we got to give C Captain Tim Coop a real uh, real thumbs up in this. I know he's working tire tirelessly and Equus search. And when it all comes together and we get closure to this case, I know we're all going to be teary-eyed and, and we're going to be, you know, sad uh, unless, of course, um, Summer's found alive, and then, you know, then we'll be, of course, uh, exuberant that, that this was um, solved in a real positive manner. But there's a lot of things that, that could, could have happened. And, you know, we can all, till we know all the facts, until this investigation totally comes together, we can't really, um, you know, just predict things or, or you know, we, look, anyone can have a conversation or think what they think is correct, but there is... If this case go, turns out to be what most of us think it is, um, you, you really hope and pray that law enforcement has crossed their T's and dotted their I's and everything comes together for a positive closure to this case. You know, Bill, uh, our instincts, I think, have kicked in with regard to these other children. And that's what we saw based on the interviews and what we know. And no one wants to see kids be removed from their home. Absolutely not. But we also have to take into consideration the welfare of the children that we're talking about, as well as the welfare of Little Summer. So I think that not being heartless by looking for 
child protective services to come into this uh, and come into this home and, and do a review. I think it's our instincts kicking in. We see that there's obviously something going on here from our previous experience with these type of things. And, you know, the erratic behavior with the shaving of the head and all of that, and then the alcohol and drugs and, and uh, giving alcohol to minors and stuff. So there's definitely, definitely 100% need for a child protective services investigation into that home, 100%. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. You know, people keep asking me in the chat, is it confirmed that the three boys were removed? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Someone's we, saying in the chat, we're on the air. I know this is a fluid investigation. Things are occurring every minute during this investigation. So while we've been on the air, I cannot confirm uh, that whether or not the three boys were removed. You know, folks, we just wanted to come on today to address our audience and to to revisit this thing and just express that we're really we're really optimistic. I'm really excited for this weekend that something really positive can happen in this case. And with EquiSearch and everything hopefully coming together. And we look, we hope and we pray and pray to whatever God you believe in that there's a positive outcome to this case. And that's what I'm hoping for. Philly, final last words. Well, I'm just hoping for um, something good to come out of this search this weekend, obviously. Um, we made a lot of good points today about uh, our opinions. Again, we don't know for certain if those children were removed, although I'm very confident we will know if that's true. Probably when we get off the air, we'll find out. And maybe we'll be commenting on that in the future. Uh, again, hope and prayers for the safe return of little Summer Welds. Uh, Kudos to Texas EquiSearch and Dave Rader and his team. Uh, we're going to hope that they uncover something good this weekend. And the tireless efforts of these investigators, hats off to them. Uh, you know, they've been doing this at the grind 38 days. And uh, let's just hope that uh, in the next day or two that we're going to have some positive results. And uh, God bless all the first responders and all the investigators on this. Phil, 100%. Uh, God bless the FBI, TBI, the local law enforcement, uh, Captain Tim Coop. And we really hope and pray you guys get through this investigation without anyone getting hurt or anything like that. But anyway, I'm Bill Cannon from Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. On behalf of myself and Phil Grimaldi, have a great afternoon and a safe weekend. Everybody stay safe and all those search searches. Stay safe out there.